Welcome to the West Virginia Writers Podcast, a service of West Virginia Writers Incorporated, the Mountain State's largest all-volunteer nonprofit organization dedicated to writers. Established and incorporated in 1977, West Virginia Writers continues to support writers and writing statewide through program sponsorship, an annual writing contest, and an annual Summer Writers Conference. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the organization, its members, and events, as well as writers throughout Appalachia and beyond. And now, broadcasting from atop a hill in Mercer County, here is your host, El Presidente, Emeritus. Thank you, Gertrude, and hola, listeners. Welcome to Episode 21 of the West Virginia Writers Podcast. I am your host, Eric Fritjus. This week's episode features Part 1 of a two-part conversation between author Lee Maynard and our first vice president, Kat Pleska, who I first talked to back in Episode 4. But first, I'd like to call your attention to our returning episode sponsor, Seeking the Swan. This is West Virginia Writers' latest collection of winners chosen from nearly 10 years of our annual writing contest. It contains work by such notable West Virginia literary figures as Anna Egan Smucker, Belinda Anderson, Joe McCabe, Llewellyn McKiernan, and last episode's special guest, poet Cheryl Denise. It's available from our website, wvwriters.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the entry forms and rules updates for the 2010 writing contest beginning January 2nd. Our guest, Lee Maynard, is a writer and editor who's done freelance work for such publications as Reader's Digest. He's best known, perhaps, as the author of 1988's novel Crumb, a controversial work which continues to serve as a time capsule containing an unvarnished view of small-town Appalachian life. His new book, released in October, is called The Pale Light of Sunset, Scattershots and Hallucinations in an Imagined Life. Lee was on hand for this year's West Virginia Book Festival, and during that weekend, Kat Pleska was able to record an interview with him for West Virginia Public Radio. Following that, she recorded a nearly hour-long interview exclusively for this podcast. I'd like to thank Kat for serving as our intrepid field reporter, as well as West Virginia Public Radio in Charleston and news director Scott Finn for allowing Kat to use their studio to talk with Lee. What do you love most about West Virginia? Ooh, that, you know, that's that's kind of hard. I think that, um, you know, Doug Imbroglu said um, he thought West Virginia had been portrayed as this sort of saccharine place with the smoke coming out of the chimney and your feet up in front of a fire, and he knows better. Well, so do I. Those images never occur to me. What I like most about West Virginia is that it might be one of the most real places I've ever been. I mean, what you see is what you get. Sometimes you don't like what you get, Mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't like what you see. Nevertheless, it's real. There's, there's no subterfuge, there's no, you know, cute little layers of cosmetic on the top that you have to get through. You get the real thing right up front. Yes, you do, and I think um, in a strange sort of way, when I've traveled out from the state, I'm just like that too. It doesn't occur to me to candy coat anything or appear other than what I am, and I'm, you know, they they kind of look at us like, you're just a little bit odd, aren't you? <laughs> they don't really know how, what to do with us. I know, us. but don't you love that? I, I mean, do, I because think I think this is the most fabulous state to yeah. ever come from. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter if you stay or go. <clears throat> you know, it's just a I, wonder. It's. I agree, and I also agree that people look at you and say, you're just not right straight down the middle, are you? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, I'm straight, but not right down the middle. That's true. Uh, how did you choose the title for your new book? It came from a line in one of the stories. Um, 
think I've read And I think it's also appropriate. You know, it's all of us get along towards sunset at one point or another. And I know I'm certainly getting there. I've got I got two or three more books in me, I think, but um I'm quite sure I don't have as much time to work on them as I used to. So I thought it was appropriate, and it was kind of a life track. Uh, you know, the arc of that book is um, kind of beginning to end sort of thing, and I tried not to make it dull. Uh, and it certainly, I, I don't ever want it referred to as a real memoir because it's really not. And um, But that's that's basically it. I mean, in one of the stories, he's... I think he's sitting on a mountaintop and musing about something in the pale light. So that's that's where it came from. Okay. Scattershots and hallucinations in an imagined life. Scattershots? Well, when you look at the book, it's just this collection of, you know, uh, uh, stories year by year by year by year. And um, that's pretty much scattershots. That, that's what my great uncle used to call shotgunning. You know, you and I take a shotgun and go squirrel hunting, but he would he'd call it scatter shooting. Oh, okay. Because the the shots scattered, the, the shot scattered. Yes. And um, hallucinations. Oh, I've had a number of those. <laughs> I have really had a number of those. I've had a few myself. <laughs> uh, it, it's a wonderful title. I do, I do, I do like that. And. Uh, and as far as the memoir is concerned, you know, there's been people who, who found out I was going to talk to you and interview you, and they'd say, I suppose we're too sophisticated to ask him which parts are true. <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not very sophisticated, but I'm not asking. <laughs> and, and the truth of the matter is, is I'm not really curious about that. I'm not curious about what's true and what well, isn't. good. I'm not, because I think I understand you know, as a writer, we have a right to do with what we, what we need to do with our material to turn it into the story. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. You and I and Kinder are on the same page. Yes. We'll do anything to make the story better. Yes. And it is a story. That's yes. the whole That's the whole thing. We're telling a story. I'm not trying to educate anyone. I'm not trying to convert anyone to some particular kind of thinking. I'm just telling a story. Yes. And so uh, what parts are true? You know what Chuck says? What's that? Well, it's in the front of that book. Chuck says all stories are true yes. if they are well written. Question is, what are they true about? Yes. And I thought that was one of the smartest things I'd ever heard. And Even for Kinder, that was smart. <laughs> you know? He's going to hear that, you know. Yeah, he will. I know he will. I'll pay for that big time, believe me. I'll pay for that. Well, tell me, what do you what do you love, or do you love anything more than writing? Just family. Family. Um. I've done I've done so many things that you know I guess for most of my life I've been some kind of an adrenaline junkie I know that's a cliche but um, I was always afraid I would miss something so there's a lot of things I love but I'm not sure I love anything more than writing except the family um, some stuff comes close you know you sit around cat and you say boy you know I I think I'll just be a full-time writer. I'm not going to do anything else. And then I think, wait a minute. What am I going to miss if I'm sitting in this little room, you know, plunking around on keyboard keys? I mean, you, you need to go do stuff. You need to find out about stuff. You need to experience stuff. And I loved all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I loved the mountains and the rivers and the, even the, the jungles. In fact, the jungles... 
Mountains and rivers never scared me. Jungles, a little bit of time I spent in them, mm-hmm. scared me. And I think it's because maybe I felt a little too close to them. I don't know. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. But it, um, I, I want to spend more time in them if I ever have the time. But that's, those are all things that, I mean, I just, I like those things. Well, a writer has to have a context to put everything in. I mean, I think so. There's the life experience, but then you need to put that against a greater background. So that experiential, that going out and experiencing, experiencing life, you know, just plunging yourself in and say, well, let's see how that goes. Exactly. I think that, that informs the writing. I think it does. And, and to me, to me, that was that was the great fun part. The writing itself, particularly first draft material, I, it's agonizing. Yeah. It's agonizing. I mean, but I love rewriting. Strangely enough, mm-hmm. because story's done. I know I know how it works. Mm-hmm. Now I get to put the polish on it and you know kick this around and pull that out and put something else. In. I mean, love that. It's like reorganizing. I don't know your 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 sock your, drawer. Your sock drawer, yeah, yeah. Let's put the green sock, green sock, yeah, hell, green sock. But it, it's yeah. To me, I I when I get to the rewrite part, I know that the really agonizing work is over. Now I get to have fun with the story, yes, and how to tell a better story. Uh, I've always had that attitude too. I've always wanted to put myself in too. Adventure, or sometimes even in dangerous situations. Have you done that? Yes, I have. Uh, mm-hmm. I was in Cairo, in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the first time I traveled abroad back in '94, and I, uh, my friend was living over there at the time. She invited me over, and we got into some situations that most women wouldn't put themselves in. Walking into places that were, you know, maybe not entirely safe. Um, well, and then you know, you're an attractive blonde, and obviously not Egyptian. I suspect you stuck out a little bit. I, I did, just a little bit. And, and you know, I walked into this perfume shop, and there's nobody there. And they don't turn on the lights until you get into the store because they're safe on the electricity. Mm-hmm. And there was an Egyptian man behind the counter that must have been well over six feet tall. Most Egyptian men, and I don't want to characterize everybody, but the majority of them are not much taller than I am. And so here's this very large Egyptian man standing behind the counter, and I'm like... I'm not even going to buy perfume, but this is so freaking. And then three more <laughs> men just come out of nowhere, you know. And here I'm, me and my friends standing there, like, okay, this is in the Conal Kalili. We could disappear, and no one would ever find us. Right? Yeah, we we weren't probably in any danger, but it was the idea, and just that experience, that adrenaline rush. Yeah, that, but- but you know what? Now you're telling me that story. Yes. You know, if you hadn't felt that, if there had been no emotion attached to that thing, it's not worth the telling. Absolutely. Now you're telling me the story. Yes. And to me, that's really important. Yes. As I was reading uh, The Pale Light of Sunset and following the protagonist through various adventures, uh, there's an, a good bit of violence that happens to this protagonist and that he, at times, perpetrates eventually through his life. And as a female, I, you know, I could talk to some of my friends about, you know, the violence in the book or this sort of thing, and they'll say, I don't read that. I don't, I don't want, I don't read much violence. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit, I don't think anybody really likes violence, but at the same time, I found myself associating and feeling as if I were in the place of the protagonist, you know, really identifying with that protagonist. 
even in the violent moments. Well, unless you're a pretty warped individual, violence is something that usually comes to you. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're really warped, you can take the violence to other people. Tried not to do that, but for some reason or other, it shows up in my life, and I don't know why that is. I don't know, you know, I mean, do I attract lightning? Yeah, maybe so. But um, I've, I've heard that comment before about my material, and I don't have an answer for that. All I can tell you is that, that when things happen and I write about them, if they are violent, okay, I'm all right with that. Because to me, the violence is seldom gratuitous, you know, there's always, it, it's always part of the story, and there's always a, a reason for it. It just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And if, it, if that is the case, and if I can keep it going in that direction, then I don't have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. One of my severest critics is a woman who grew up uh, on the East Coast from a very wealthy family. And she said to me, nobody has all of that stuff happen to them. And I'm thinking... <laughs> Nobody grows up as protected as you did, you know. I mean, it's just one of those things. So um, are some of these stories violent? Yeah, but the violence is merely a piece of the story. It is not the story. Right, right. It, no, it definitely wasn't the story. And, and I think that's why I could continue to identify with the protagonist, even though I'm female. I could still picture myself in this. And that your character struggles with that. So oh, none does. of it is, is gratuitous. And I think that's why, you know, I can yeah. still identify with him. If you read those stories, he doesn't he doesn't rush into that kind of stuff. It it, it, it usually finds him. He never really intends right. for it to be there. Right. But it is. Do you ever encounter other writers from West Virginia where, you know, when you go out, you know, where you live in Mexico or out in the country, the rest of the country? Never. Never. And um you know, my some of my favorite writers today, Kat, are West Virginians. And somebody said, well, you just like them because, because you're all from the same state. No, that is not why I like them. You know, when you read uh, Kinder or Richard Curry or Jane Ann Phillips yes. or Denise Jardina, I mean, the list goes on and on. And Well, you know, it doesn't go on and on. I, I suppose if we were from New York or California, the list would go on and on. But we're not. We're West Virginians, and there are damn few of us. Yeah. But I got to tell you, those people that I read from West Virginia are extraordinarily high quality people. Uh, but I don't encounter them because there aren't enough of us to encounter. Okay. Yeah. I've never run into another writer from West Virginia any place else except here, or when I go see Chuck in sure. Pennsylvania. Sure. You know, 40 miles across the border. <laughs> that's, not, that's not being far away. No, no. What about your writing schedule? You know, um, when, where, how long? Don't have one. Okay. I've never been that guy that said, "Up oh, seven o'clock in the morning, I got to go to work." You know, and go in and sit down. I've maybe it's a lack of discipline. Uh, well, obviously it's a lack of discipline, but um, to me, I have to feel that need. Believe me, I don't want to go do it. Um, you don't? No, no, I don't want to go do it, but because um, it's really hard work. Yes, it is. But uh, I also have to go do it. I, I know that much that I have. I have to go do it. 
but I, I can't do it on a schedule. I have to feel some sort of emotional buildup that if I don't go write it down, it will just bug the hell out of me until something else happens. So I don't care what time of day it is. I don't care where I am. I've written on riverbanks and offices and and saloons and cars. And, I mean, it just, uh, I've always got a pad and a pencil. And uh, when I have to get it down, that's when I have to get it down. And I don't know why it works that way for me. But maybe that's, for me, that's part of the game. I, I do the same thing. I don't have a regular schedule, especially with my creative work. If it's an article for a magazine or something like that, that's different. But it's it's not it, it's. I'm constantly working on it in the back of my head. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just constantly yeah. formulating back yeah. there, and every now and then, it's got to come out. I got to get it down, and and now that I'm getting a little older, I'm terrified I'm going to forget it <laughs> if I don't well, write it down. <laughs> yes, I carry. I have two of those tape recorders. Yeah. Okay. And and uh, I do actually quite a lot of writing while I'm driving. That's a wonderful time. Uh, you know, I grab that little thing and put all my timeless prose into it. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't. Um, I don't know, Cat. It, it's. I'm I'm exactly with you when I am doing when I wrote for the Digest, and I had to meet a deadline. Then you will sit your butt down and write. Yes. You don't have the luxury of saying, oh, I'll get to it tomorrow. They're going to pull it. You're, you're done. Mm-hmm. And uh, you miss out on those nice paydays that yes. your digest can provide. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, there's I don't have a schedule. What What do you like to read? Can I read everything. Mm-hmm. I read the back of cereal boxes. I do, too. I mean, I... <laughs> And I don't even eat cereal, but I read the back of the box. I, and, and certain certain times I'm in the library, I'll even read the shampoo bottle. Oh, there's nothing God, else it's just, it's just, uh, I, I love fiction. I love to read fiction. I love to read, um, in terms of fiction, I love to read stuff that would fall under the guise of literature. Yes. But I will read, uh, you know, mystery stories. Mm-hmm. I love to read good nonfiction, but it better be well written because I don't have a lot of patience if it's a drudge. I agree. So, and I love history. Oh yeah. Oh God, I love history. People are always sending me recommendations. Got to read this. You got to read that. Uh, so I have a stack of books about four feet high. I do too. That I'm trying to get through, knowing I'll never get there. But we need to be as old as Methuselah. Yeah. But then think of all the books that are going to be. Written in those 900 years, we never get caught up. That's right. (laughs) That concludes part one of Cat's Conversation with Lee Maynard. Join us next Friday for part two. We also have a recorded live reading from Lee's new book that we'll be playing sometime in the coming weeks. And while we've hinted around about it in previous podcasts, I can go ahead and tell you that Mr. Maynard will once again be one of the workshop presenters for the 2010 West Virginia Writers Summer Conference. That's June 11th through the 13th at Cedar Lakes in Ripley. Be sure to keep your calendars clear. Our opening voiceover was provided by Marcus Vowell. Our show's theme music is used with permission by its composer, Pops Walker, who also composed the soundtrack for the audio adaptation of Crumb, produced by Mountain Whispers Audiobooks. This podcast has been produced by Mr. Herman's Production Company Limited and was recorded atop a hill in Mercer County.